Hello, sisters, and welcome. Grab a drink and a familiar, cozy up by a bubbling cauldron, and join us for this meeting of the Sisters of the Night Caucus. Say hello, sisters. Hello, I am Katie. I'm Angela. I'm Laura. And I am Jillian, as always. Uh, We have a a fun episode today um, with an amazing duo that we will introduce later. Um, But first, we're going to hex some things because the world is a garbage fire. Um, Who wants to go first? I do. Okay, go ahead. I really do. school board candidate recruitment in red rural areas it's garbage um do y'all remember how shockingly there were a lot of counties in pennsylvania in 2008 that voted for barack obama that you wouldn't think would have voted for barack obama and maybe it had something to do with the fact that george w bush like royally fucked us pretty goddamn hard that caused a lot of people who wouldn't normally vote for Barack Obama to vote for Barack Obama. I mean, like, Uh aside from a pretty decent campaign thing going on, that's what's going to have to happen with our rural school boards before we can recruit any decent candidates to possibly potentially flip them when the wackadoo people who will probably be elected this year fuck things up so bad that maybe in two years I can recruit school board candidates because God forbid anyone wants to deal with the parents who go to school board meetings these days. And oh, oh, and this was pointed out by Laura Burke like a week ago. Why are school board elected officials the only elected officials in Pennsylvania that don't even get like a little bit of something? Like even I get like $200 a year for being a council person in my tiny ass borough. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Fuck red rural school board recruitment. Okay, so I want to hex the 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 scourge that has become um utterly useless candidate social media. <laughs> and listen, if you are listening and you are a candidate and and you and this applies to you, I'm sorry, this is not anything personal against you in the tiniest bit. If you just got involved, with this, which is the case for a lot of candidates, you wouldn't even know that things could should be better because this is so widespread. Um, your social media, specifically where you're sharing photos and text, i.e. Facebook, it, it should be telling the voters your story and why they should vote for you. It's a chance for them to get to know you. And it also shows them what you're up to. That is only one small part. Posting your photos from events that you have attended is important and it is very good. It should not be the entirety of your social media. Additionally, if you can manage to use your captions to tell the voters something about yourself or an issue or policy that's important to you, then you're doing great. But this just vomiting out photos from everywhere you've been and that being the entirety of your social media is not a compelling way to, I feel like we've forgotten the rest of the puzzle. And because I know a lot of smaller candidates just do their stuff themselves, um, you know, I, I I just wanted to talk about it. That's all. I, I guess it's just, I, I, want, I want to care about candidates. Make me care. Make me care. Make me want to tell people, hey, do you live here? Oh my God, you got a great candidate. I know nothing about anyone. I just know they go places and stand with next to people. That is not compelling. End rant. Here, here. Yeah, um, I agree. 
um you know i certainly I, like again you know events photos from events are are cool uh but yeah like they can't they can't be the whole deal and it can't just be like a drop like of, of a billion photos um Oh, and also before, because I know that like some, there's some smarmy person out there listening right now who's going, you don't want to say things about policy in a primary. I didn't even say that. No. <laughs> I, I'm saying say anything about yourself and the things you care about. Those aren't specific mm -hmm. policy points. Those aren't taking stands. And local candidates don't need to talk about controversial things anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah. think that, that that hex was actually very constructive. So I'm not yeah. sure it counts as a hex. Like there was advice in there, like good advice. I, I care, you know? <laughs> like, yes. I still what I did, like, what was it, two episodes ago, where you give me 60 seconds and I literally word vomit out all of my rage. But, you know, who is that serving? I, listen that's it doesn't matter I, here's my climate change i just this week there was a day when it was in the high 20s to low 30s and there was sleet and snow and rain and then the very next day the very next day high of 70 in fact, when I woke up in the morning, day after that, back to 34 behind. Yeah, when I woke up in the morning on that 70 degree day, um, 71 degrees actually, that's 71 degree day, it was already 20 degrees hotter than it had been the day before at 7:30 in the morning. And then the very next day back down into the 30s but jillian climate change isn't real and it doesn't cause extreme weather changes you shut your dirty mouth science is fake i on behalf of the sign the sinuses of humanity we have to do something i'm over here sniffling i'm sniffling in uh in Support. I can't have any, I, I've had so many, I feel like I'm a walking, talking sinus headache. <laughs> like, in addition to droughts and floods and dramatic weather events and constant disasters and a shrinking amount of potable water for various places on the planet and, 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 and. First world climate change problems are our sinuses. Yeah. You know, people could join in the fight for climate change if they sign up to receive emails from conservation voters of PA. People can <laughs> help in the fight for climate change by, no, you know what? I'm just about to like recommend something that's it's probably not, wasn't violence, that's for sure. Um <laughs> wasn't guillotines or anything um what jillian oh my my little friend yep put the gritty yes. mask on if you're gonna go there you have culpable deniability then there you go there you go um laura do you want to hex something today i will i originally okay. was going to hex upmc but we're going to talk about that later so okay. instead i'm going to hex a new topic for me, which is campaigning during COVID. Oh, I have been exposed to COVID three times since we started this lovely petition season on February 14th. Yeah. That and I'm know. over it. Yeah. Like, I don't even want to know anymore. And that's bad, I think, but also liberating. Yeah. We're, we're back with our, our new segment um to to get to know our counties i feel like we had a clever name for it and i don't remember what it was mm. what was our clever name we do have a clever name for it um, um hold on a moment it is the county spotlight county spotlight um and here we go 
We're spotlighting Northumberland County. Northumberland County. Uh, who wants to who wants to say something about Northumberland County? I have a thing. Okay, go for it. I'll go. I'll go twice. All right. First thing is Northumberland County is the mother county. The mother county. That's that's the what mother of what? The mother of all counties. The mother of like 17 counties. 21. Oh, what? 21 full counties and parts of 10 others were spun out of the original. Uh, it was 18,000 square miles. It was basically like, like from, it went the entire way in 1772. From, it went from the Lehigh to the Allegheny River with the New York border as the border on the top. So all the other counties were just broken off from the mother county, Northumberland. And that's pretty wild because I don't know how I didn't know that until today. That it's that is wild. So I mean, really, like um, Northumberland could have as their theme song the RuPaul song, "Call Me Mother," <laughs> and I think that's pretty fun. I also think they should dunk on people a lot more. Yeah, like give me that. If, if we were the mother county, I wouldn't let anybody forget it. Yeah, hell yeah. Can I mean, it's amazing. No, here. Well, so let me give you, let me dig into the basics of Northumberland County, Pennsylvania. Um, so Northumberland County, if you don't know where Northumberland County is, it is um, to the east of center. Um. It's a funky shape. It's a real funky shape. Um, and the county was formed in 1772 from parts of several other counties. Um, it is uh, its largest population area is, I believe, um, Sunbury. I don't know how they say it there. Do they say it Sunbury or Sunbury? Sunbury. Sunbury. Okay. All right. Sunbury. Um, I'm always a little hesitant about it uh, because in Pennsylvania, we have interesting pronunciations. Um, but uh, yeah, population of about 91,000 and dropping <laughs> like many places, unfortunately. Um, it is in the 9th and 12th congressional districts. Um, Not anymore. That's pre-redistricting. No, no. Oh, that's pre-redistricting? Uh, what are they in now? Uh, I believe it's all 9th. It's all 9th. Oh, good for them. Good for them. Um, boy, they've got a bunch of, of uh, adjacent counties. It's because they're shaped so bizarre. Um but yeah, it's uh, a dish. And the other thing that I learned is that before European settlement, the area was inhabited by the Akrakuaranan. Susquehannock. The Akrakuaranan, sorry, Akrakuaranan are a subtribe of the Susquehannock, yep. bitch. I know. I was going to get there and you didn't even let me. Anyway, you know, then white people happened. Laura, do you have something on Northumberland? Yeah, you do. You do. You have two things. I, I actually now have, I started with two things and now I have three things. Oh, that's exciting. So first, Northumberland County's URL is Norico PA or something. And it's ridiculous. And no one knows what Norico is. Yeah. Except Katie. Except Katie. Y'all know about Katie, but yeah, um, 
it's terrible. Nobody knows what that is. Please, please change your URL. Um, second, I looked up their commissioners because that's kind of my thing. And I've never seen any of those people. I don't know what they're doing <laughs> over there. But they're a fifth class county and they probably have a lot of work they should be doing, but they're they're clearly not doing that much if I've never heard or seen of any any of them. Um, they're certainly not participating in CCAP, which sick burn is just not 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 appropriate. Um finally, uh UPMC on the theme of how awful UPMC is, mm -hmm. uh, closed the Sunbury Hospital. So yes. they 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 have joined the long line of communities that are basically screwed now, thanks to UPMC. That's all I know about Northumberland County. Angela, yeah. you had another cool thing about. I North did. Florida. I thought we were round robining. Oh no, I got I got like a whole pile. So go for no, it. Oh yeah, Katie's going last. Okay, cool. Yeah. So to reiterate, I think that Northumberland should do a lot more Duncan on the whole world because not only are they the mother county, they were the first place to have municipal electricity. Oh, shit. Now, old Sunbury. Old Sunbury. So listen, at Thomas Edison, Thomas Edison, lit the edison hotel and it was like the first hotel to have uh full wiring and he lit it up like a christmas tree and they he on on the fourth of july which i think <laughs> is you know very apropos must have must have i can you even imagine what a scene that must have been yeah that would have to be pretty wild Right. Like, I mean, those people must have just been like, whoa. Um, I, I feel like I feel like we don't get those moments of wonder anymore, but I'm gonna be honest with you. Like, I, I don't know if I want any more moments of wonder because I have please protect me from like, moments of wonder. Yeah. I can't take it. I'm too fragile. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and so he built his first electric illuminating power company. Um, in Sunbury, he built his first plant and, and he made it like Sunbury, like the model and lit all the streets. And this must've been like so wild. So that's super cool. It is. All right, Katie, finish us up. Tell us a thousand things about Northumberland. So disclaimer, I lived in Northumberland County for a little while. Ha ha. Um, so first cool thing you all should look up, um, uh, dissenting clergyman, philosopher, educator, and political theorist, Joseph Priestley. There is the Joseph Priestley house stands on Priestley Avenue and is a national historic landmark. Um, that is in Nori, also North, um, the, the town of Northumberland in Northumberland County. So that's cool. Um, also, the other super cool thing is the only fish sandwich I've ever enjoyed. I got along the Susquehanna River at this little joint off 147 and 45, like just down the road. I think it's called The Fence. I don't know if it's even still open. It was 20 years ago, but it was the best fish sandwich I ever fucking had. And I don't eat fish. So that could go either way. So it's either a really good fish sandwich or a fish sandwich if i liked it it's really truly good. suspect because like i don't No, you don't like fish so you have no basis i do i eat it sometimes but like for a fried fish sandwich which you can't escape in pennsylvania and you usually suck it up when you're somewhere and you're like fine i'm the fucking fried fish it was the best fried fish fan sandwich you're like that you're like that anyway anyway, anyway. so then then have you ever bought Romanos tomatoes at the grocery store if you have i believe their original last name is actually Furman, and they're not italian and they grow all their tomatoes in northumberland county and and wait angela's making a whole like angela is looking at you uh -huh. in city italian right now Fermano's <laughs> tomatoes <laughs> wait I, I don't want to judge them until we can be absolutely certain are we sure because a lot of people drop the vowel 
to Americanize when they came through Ellis Island. But if they truly are just pretending to be Italian, <laughs> screw them. What I don't know, but where I lived in Nori, pulling a full Jimmy surrounded, was surrounded by their tomato fields. Jesus. Um and God, it smells so fucking bad. And oh, I, oh, oh harvest. Blech. Anyway, tomato harvest smells. Um, and then also Northumberland County was huge because it was right at the confluence of the uh, east and west branch Susquehanna that then like you know goes down. Major uh, rail timber, and then of course anthracite coal. You have Treverton, Shamokin, etc. But the thing about the tomatoes and that nice like river soil stuff. Chef Boyardi is a real man who had his plant in Milton, Pennsylvania, in that northern sticky up spot where I lived. Um, and Chef Boyardi is real, although, like, clearly, and the American government loved Chef Boyardi canned products uh, for World War II. Um, but it has gone through clearly like corporate purchasers. But the picture you see of Chef Boyardi on a can is actually a picture of Chef Boyardi, who was one of several Italian brothers who were chefs, I want to say like in New York City. And yeah, actually like real guy, real, real stuff. And that was in Milton, Pennsylvania. So yes, that's all of my exciting. And the fact that I lived in West Chilisquaki Township. There's also an East Chile, when we call it East Chile, and you go through Montandon and East Chile, and that's how you go the back way to Danville to Geisinger. All right. There you go. That's all my whew, super fast Northumberland County facts. All right. Listen. Uh, hmm? I just found out unrelatedly that Chef Ettore Boyardi Mm-hmm. in Parma, Ohio. And, uh, you know, when I pass through there, I'm, I'm going to go pay my respects for, for all the good times. Yeah. 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 That's right. I mean, it's crap. Listen, but that's not it's, his fault. It's not, it's his, not fault. his fault. Um, Although I will say that like little pasta rings as a pasta shape. I'm sorry. Underrated. Underrated. I mean, I don't want to eat. I don't. I don't want to eat Chef Boyardee like canned. I mean, not that I haven't in my life. I'm not that fancy, um, but I I would make a I would make a a a, a version that is homemade. But I will say, like, keep in mind, like, what we know of Chef Boyardee foods were probably very different. Yeah, no, I'm sure they were probably like better at some point. I'm saying it's not his fault. It's no, not it's not his fault. fault. It's, it's Conagra's fault. fault. We'll just say it. It's yeah. I feel. I also feel like. Every person, or at least every child, goes through a bizarre, I think SpaghettiOs are good phase. Usually yeah. that phase yeah. lasts for like a month. But for some people, it lasts forever. And like, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, good stuff. All right. Well, listen, that is that is what we have to learn about Northumberland County. If you have Northumberland County facts, tweet them at us um and and let's let's all learn more about northumberland county uh because as as with every county in pennsylvania we assume uh it's got some stuff going on so listen let's uh let's bring forth our guests um in fact you've already heard from one um that is original sister of the night carcass laura burke um and today we also have carol taylor with us you may remember carol uh she ran for state senate last year um and of course we know uh blair county commissioner laura burke uh and this year laura's running for re-election and carol is running with her they are team commissioner, uh, both running for commissioner in Blair County. So we've got like a lot of a lot to talk about. <laughs> so you know, and I think we've we've had this, we've talked about this a little bit before, but like Laura, give us a give us a brief refresher on what what a county commissioner does. So county commissioners are technically the both legislative and executive branches of county government. 
Um, now that's in non-home, I'm not talking about home rural counties. I don't know anything about home rural counties. We're not <laughs> home rural counties. Yeah, calm down home rural counties. <laughs> yeah. um, so the, the counties where there is a board of three commissioners, we are both the executive and legislative branches. Um, what that translates to um, and what county code covers, basically we do what county code allows us to do. So we are the sole contractors for the county like any department that wants to do anything, we have to sign their contracts. Their contracts are not valid unless the county commissioners have approved them and signed them. Um, we sit as the board of elections in non, in our non-election years. We sit on the prison board. Um, we are the majority of the salary board and the majority of our retirement board. And we basically do like all the administrative stuff to make county government run um in day-to-day -day life we also like mediate between elected officials our what we call our 1620 officers and other county departments we work with people in the community to make sure things are getting done and you know, help where we can with projects. Um, we advocate to our state legislators and federal legislators for things that would make county life better um, on issues that would affect us. Um, and basically we have here in Blair County, at least a $60 million budget and about 500 employees. So it's a lot of day-to-day -day, like management of a business almost. Interesting. So now I'm I'm going to skip a question and and go to Carol. So <laughs> hey Carol. Um so listen Carol um you just ran for state senate last year. Why would you subject yourself to this again? <laughs> That's a really good question, Jillian. Um and honestly <laughs> Honestly, when I got done with that run, I went into my cave for about two months and I said, you know, I'm not doing that again anytime soon. That's just not happening. I was exhausted. I was still working full time uh, in the addictions field and honestly, trying to run a campaign and then also working 50 hours a week is not a good combination. So I would say that I slept for two months and I and I told my team, I said, I'm not doing again I'm, I'm really not and that, you know and then something happened <laughs> something happened to me one day where I woke up and I went you know I probably should um given the logistics of the tea party team facing us probably having two people in the democratic party that are progressive that are you know working for the people might be extremely helpful um and honestly, I think people's memory um, is about two months long anyways. And so I'm guessing if I didn't run now, I might not run in the future because honestly, um, there is some name recognition there, which makes it easier. People know what I stand for. They know where I'm at. Um, and I never shy away from stating where I'm at. And so like, I don't, <laughs> I don't pander to any particular group. I just basically look at the problems and say, this is the way. I think we should approach them. So, um, and also, you know, Laura, uh, Laura and I, we've been a team before. I like the idea of, of a united force. I mean, at some point, I suppose we're each independent candidates, but honestly, um, you know, Laura and I go back to 2019, as she pointed out the other day, when um, we were thinking about both were thinking about running and I decided to support her and she asked me to be her. That's what I get for saying I'll support you. <laughs> Campaign manager. <laughs> Campaigns are no are no stranger to me. Um, but you know, I know what I'm in for. So I have no one to blame but myself for this one. But I really feel that there needs to be a sensible voice in government. And Laura seems to be the sensible voice right now. And I've looked at the field of people that declared their intention to run and I went, you know, we need, we need more, we need more ammunition here. Um, we need more 
power. Um, we need to be talking about the issues more because honestly, all I see on the other side is they're running on, you know, we don't spend any money and you know, because we won't spend any money, there will be a raise in taxes. And it's just like, they, they haven't approached any of the problems that face the County. And so that's why I'm running. I'm a hopeless idealist. That's what it comes down to. And this is probably it for me because I'm getting too old for this, but um, <laughs> I'm going to put my energy into this right now. Love it. Does that answer your question? I'm not even it's sure. A, no, it does. Go ahead, Angela. Oh, no, I just, I, I mean, while we're on the, why are you running? Sip. Burke. The lob. What, so, what, what's powering you to, to go, to go forth? Yeah. So I think it, it is, it's interesting um, for me because it is my first time running as an incumbent and I didn't. I don't, I wouldn't say I ever can seriously considered not doing it, but it is a different position to be in. And just knowing the job that I'm doing, um, I thought I was prepared to take this job when I was elected and then quickly found out that there is a lot to it that you don't see in the public facing side that, you know, maybe I wasn't as prepared for, but now I've learned how to do those aspects of it. A lot of the human resources um, aspects and the budgetary stuff that I didn't really have experience in. And I think I've been doing a good job and it's, um, something that excites me, something it's different every day. Um, there's still a lot of opportunities to learn new things and to help in new ways. Um, and I have some unfinished projects, um, to be honest. So, you know, just, there's a motivation there to continue to serve and to, to try to move, move the County forward. Um, and I'm really excited excited to have Carol running with me on the chance that we we both get in there I think you know because our our vision and values are so aligned we'll be able to really make some significant differences um that I wasn't quite able to to do this this term so that is exciting I was really excited to see that you had a a, a united front I think that that goes into the next question uh, really easily, which is Blair is a red county. So conventional wisdom, conventional wisdom, which, by the way, I disagree with profoundly, um, but conventional wisdom is um, that only one Democrat, you know, will get in. Um, so explain a little bit, you know, both of you, you can ping pong it back and forth. Um, what made you guys decide to go for both, you know, to, to, to both take, to take the gamble and both be in the race together. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? I, I'm thinking about that one, you know, cause that's an interesting question. Um, I, <laughs> I honestly feel that um, that it isn't inconceivable that we support each other and present that united front. If I was to lose to Laura, I would still be 100% in Laura's corner. Um, and I think the, uh, the adverse is also true. Um, and a lot of people are having difficulty wrapping their heads around it. Um, I do think there is always that possibility that the other side is so, um, what's the word I want to use that's, that's nicer than cocky, but I think cocky, <laughs> it's tea party cockiness. They're like, you know, and there, there's so many of them running um, that they may underestimate Democrats if they splinter. Um, so I think, and, and I, I think there's always a chance um, and so I feel like we support one another, uh, but we're also separate candidates. I also think that the more voices that we have speaking out in the Democratic Party, it moves that bar forward. I mean, we may not be winning. Um, and I did certainly, um, I mean, I saw progress in the Altoona area in the Senate race that I ran, um, but it was disturbing the overall numbers, um, but that's still progress. And that's progress in this area. 
and that was progress in Judy Ward's area. So honestly, we have to continue to fight and have multiple voices speaking out for the common sense issues that we need to be addressing. And eventually we're chipping away. We're chipping away so that people start taking that into consideration when they go to the voting booth. We can't just give up and say, okay, you know, um, the status quo is just fine with us and we're going to lose anyways. That's, that's not in my DNA. And I don't think it's in Laura's either. So. Yeah. And that's, right. I mean, I think that's a good point. Like, you know, Carol ran her Senate race. It was a very difficult district. I started out as a state house candidate in a very difficult district. Um, so, you know, we're not doing, we're, neither of us got into running for races thinking like, oh, it's a slam dunk. We're going to win. You know, like we, we, we take on difficult, difficult things because it's so important to at least have our voices heard um, and to move the needle and um, what's the talking about margins. I can't think of the, I, I can't remember, but you're chipping you know, away at the margins, chipping away at the margins. Um, you know, it's, it's about more than us. Um, and that is not just, it's about more than us in politics and campaigning, but it's about more than us in the issues that we're putting forward and, and the way we want to approach how your, how your county is run and how your government is run, because it's about all the citizens and our communities and not about us. Um, and I think, you know, to get to, is there a possibility that we both get in? I do think there is. Um, if you look at, um, you know, there is one open seat because Commissioner Herb is not running again. Um, I think there's four Republicans currently announced. Um, Commissioner Webster is not running from a position of strength. Um, you know, she had well-moneyed backers the last time who are not supporting her this time, and they are supporting the other candidates. Um, and that has consequences for how their race is run and how it's going to turn out. I don't know. I don't really know how that's going to go. Um, and then there are also rumors that an independent would run. Um, if an independent does get in the race, it's likely to be a right-leaning independent who could splinter their their votes for whoever their nominees are. Um, so depending on who they get through the primary and if there is an independent, I definitely think if this if there's a year that we have a chance, it's this year, and I'm just happy to have you know someone strong running with me. And again, like Carol said, if if she wins and I'm out at least I know I left you, you know, the county in the best hands possible because she has a myriad of experience that will be very valuable to her um, in the office. So it's, it's exciting to me to be able to run with someone. Um, I didn't really gel with our other democratic candidate in 2019. So um, I'm, I'm now looking forward to this year, whereas before I was kind of like not looking forward. <laughs> Yeah, and think about, you know, if, if in fact, um, they do splinter and you get two thems on the, you know, out of the three commissioners, the amount of good things we could accomplish would be amazing for the county because we would be focused on the things that need addressed instead of, you know, issue-based instead of just, you know, trying to have a position of power or, I mean, for neither one of us, this isn't about, you know, getting our face in front of people. It's not about, it's actually about the trying to represent the people of Blair County and get stuff done. Wouldn't that be refreshing? I, I would, that would be the best scenario ever, you know, and I could learn from Laura's experience as well. I mean, we could get a lot done. And, and Blair County, I think, would be better for it. I fully agree. I wish more Katie, people thought like this. For sure. I know. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's refreshing. Yeah, it is. Um, so uh, we promised some UPMC chat um, and this this week there was an article um in the altoona mirror which we'll share in the notes um about so well i will say this uh it had 
some amazing commentary from Commissioner Burke. Um, but Laura, why don't you talk to us about what it was that happened um, sure. regarding UPMC in the county? Okay, so UPMC Altoona came to us um, actually before the end of the year with a proposal um, requesting for some of our American Rescue Plan dollars, exactly $200,000, um, to fund the construction of what's called an empath unit. And I don't know what empath stands for off the top of my head, but um, it would be basically a unit in the hospital that would be adjacent to the current ER um, that would be set up um, in a way that is more conducive for people who are in um, either mental health distress or um, have like a behavioral health issue, which would be mental health plus substance use um, together. Um, so it it's like more calming. It's there's like chairs that recline instead of you're sitting on a plastic chair in the ER type thing. Um, so it is, and I will say this, I do think the empath unit is a good idea idea um, just up front. Um, it's something that we need in our community. So they asked us for this money. Um, it was in a walk the halls scenario that it was presented to us. So we each heard about it individually. Um, I expressed at that time questions about why UPMC couldn't pay for this themselves. It's construction inside their building. Um, so, you know, what, how, how is the county, why is the county paying for it? Um, was kind of my question. And that at that time, we didn't have a picture of like who else they were asking for money or anything. Um, but it did have enough support that it came to a public meeting. Um, and I think it was actually back in January. Um, and representatives came and I asked a lot of questions then about, um, you know, the funding, <clears throat> I'm sorry, um, the funding, um, whether this was a definite yes or whether Pittsburgh still had to approve it, um, some things about you know, well, isn't how how are you investing in this? Like, what is like basically like do you have skin in the game? Um, and they kind of said, well, our skin in the game is that we're going to provide the staffing, um, and you know, it'd be this good thing for the community and 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 on and on. Um, so we actually. It had not been through um, legal review with our um, American Rescue Plan consultants yet when it came to the public meeting, which is sort of backwards of how we normally do things. Um, normally, things don't come to a public meeting until we know basically that everyone is going to vote yes on it. Um, and so this was sort of backwards because we didn't really have final kind of advice saying, yes, it is eligible under the American Rescue Plan. Um, so I asked for that to be done before it came back for a vote. Um, and ultimately, our consultants did say, yes, they that we could use ARPA funds for the purpose. Um, but basically, UPMC is getting a um, federal amount of money, $250,000. They're getting a state grant that's $773,000. The city um, committed $100,000 and the county has now committed $200,000. Um, that's the total budget for the whole project. Um, and I was told after the meeting that their local board committed to pay for any overages, which are theoretical in nature, Up and they said up to 10%. So if it's up to 10% of the total project, they would pay for it if they go over their budget. Um, so that would have been, I guess, good information to know ahead of time. Um, but at any rate, um, you know, they're not paying for it. It's they kept saying, oh, well, we we do this at Western Psych and it works really well. Um, so I had actually contacted a friend who is a doctor at Western Psych and he said, we don't have an empath unit. We have we are a psychological psych psychiatric emergency service. So that is our ER. Like, that's all there is. Right. There's no you know, in an empath unit model, you still have to be medically assessed before you can be moved into that empath. Basically, they have to make sure that your issue is mental or behavioral health first and not some sort of medical issue. Um, so with the state of our ER, which has been well publicized, just, you know, horrible waiting times, not enough staffing, um, you know, I think a lack of beds to move people to once they're assessed in the ER, there, there are people waiting down there a long time. So I guess my my concern um, 
is a UPMC's lack of financial commitment. Um, and I think that kind of is exemplary of a lack of commitment in general and in other ways. Um, B, they haven't demonstrated that they can stabilize this crisis situation we having have going on in our regular ER, and they're looking at this as the solution to that. But I don't think it is. Like I think it's it's something really good for our community that we need. Um, but it's you have to fix that first problem first. Like you have to we have to be able to move people through the ER in an efficient way in order to get people into the empath unit where they can you know, be treated in an appropriate way for the issue they have going on. Um, so, um, you know, I really felt like, and and on top of that, Pittsburgh can still say no. And we were told that that if we didn't, if they didn't have like 100% of the funding, Pittsburgh would in fact say no, which I'm, you know, people come in and they say things and it's like, do do they actually know what they're, they're talking about or not? You don't always know. Um, but kind of the bottom line for me ended up being, you know, our um, Blair Drug and Alcohol Executive Director supported this and believed it it's needed. Our reti- recently retired Civil Services Director supported this and, and believes it's needed. And um, our Director of um, Blair Health Choices, which is, um, they do all sorts of things, but um, they work a lot with the community that's on Medicaid and, and kind of coordinating their care. Um, for mental health and behavioral health issues. Um, they all supported it and came and spoke in favor of it. And I just know with, you know, the number of issues we have surrounding um, behavioral health and substance abuse and mental health issues, and it is something that we need and we need it bad enough that we are we are going to step up and pay for it because UPMC won't. But I don't really, like, I don't understand why UPMC can't, can't, pay for it like why shouldn't they pay for it it's in their building like we're never it's not like it's a separate building where if they fail or close the hospital we can do something with it like it's literally in their building um so it's just it's frustrating because you know back in 2013 um when when we moved from Altoona regional to upmc altoona they promised this 250 dollar or 250 million dollar commitment and i have no idea i don't think we have any idea what they've, if they've actually invested any of that money in us as a community or, or if they think it's just paying their employees is good enough, even though they're paying their employees shit. Like, I don't, yeah. you know, I don't know. Um, but it's, it's just frustrating. And it's, it's, it, it feels like they have a sense of entitlement, like, because we're UPMC, you have to do this and there's no choice. And um, it's a hard position to be in when you know that, like, it's a needed service. Um so it was one of those things where I could have voted no and Commissioner Erb, he has a conflict because he's on the UPMC Altoona board. Um, so yeah. he had to abstain. But if I had voted no and Commissioner Webster had voted yes, the rule of three means he can, even though he has stated his conflict, he can vote to break the tie. So it probably would have passed even if I had voted no. Um, but it's just one of those things. And it's like my fellow commissioners, I mean, I, I know they understand the, that there's an issue and that we need we need the service, but they kept saying, oh, well, it's going to benefit the county because we're going to keep people out of the jail because they'll go to the empath unit. Instead, I'm like, I don't I don't see that. I mean, I think there's a possibility. But if there's if you're in the empath unit for 24 to 48 hours while they stabilize you and they're supposed to like find services for you when you go back to your home and like do a warm handoff and all this that would be great if we had services in the community. That yeah, I was going to say, like, what know, services? List. Like, but like, yeah, I don't know. I think Carol can really speak to that, too. Yeah, out of prison this way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like it, uh, we do. I One positive that that also came up after the meeting was, was that um, we do believe we're getting funding for crisis intervention training for our law enforcement, um, which was something we had applied for a grant um previously and thought we were getting it and then they actually line item did out like vetoed it out when they actually came down to funding um so we are getting um that training which hasn't been done um in too long so i think that's going to be a significant amount of money and a significant amount of training so that at least like if 
if we have law enforcement encountering people, maybe they bring them to the ER instead of to the prison. Um, but what happened, like, we still need more, like we still need the services after the fact. Um, and how do you keep these people stable once you've stabilized them? So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that was long. <laughs> no, no. actually, I just wanted to weigh in on that, because as you know, that's like my, my, one of my focuses, um, because I work in um, drug and alcohol addiction and a dual, well, actually, I'm moving on from there, but in a dual facility, where, you know, almost, I would say, it 98% of the population, maybe 95, it's a great majority. Um, are dual diagnosed, which means they have some mental health issue. And a lot of cases, the mental health issue is extreme, hearing voices, seeing things that aren't there, um, you know, intermittent explosive disorder, um, just really serious mental health, including some dissociative personality disorders. So we have people with multiple personalities as well. These are folks that have been deeply damaged and gone through a lot of trauma. <clears throat> you know, having a substance abuse problem be and in, in essence to try to escape their own childhood trauma or the demons that exist within their own brain, right? They're trying to deal with reality and cannot. And when they leave our facility to go to something else, if you look at the structure, the infrastructure that we have, it's it's totally lacking because what are you going to do with folks? They're not appropriate for a halfway house. They're not going to make it in a recovery house where their, you know, their requirement is to work. There isn't places for them to be treated. And when they end up in crisis in our facility, we take them to UPMC or UPMC crisis will only deal with them if they are absolutely suicidal. In other words, here's my plan and I'm going to do it right now. Um, and then they deal with the situation. But honestly, after 24 or 48 hours or experiences, they're discharged right back to our facility. So, and beyond the crisis, there's not, there's, there isn't anything. My concern is UPM, UPMC is the only game in town. And that's unfortunate because honestly, I don't think Laura would have any choice except to vote yes. Because honestly, you're either voting yes for something as opposed to nothing right now. And, but the problem is UPMC's track record is horrible. If they're going to supply the staffing, they haven't been able to supply the staffing to run their own facility right now. You know, that's a, that's, there's nothing to do with crisis. So I really question how much of this actually addresses the need that we have for, you know, those folks who have had mental health issues for a very long time, they've been homeless you know, honestly, once you deal with them on a crisis level, where where are they going to go after that? So resources have to be developed and and sent to another kind of backup care. I question whether UPMC is looking at this as just well, this is an area we can you know with with funding we can get into that may show a success track. I don't know what their thinking is on this, but I don't see their community involvement in terms of caring for the community um, beyond just getting grant funds, which are readily available. And I don't mean to be harsh because it is a step forward, but it's a really minor step forward. And I'm concerned that they've signed up for something they can't deliver on or won't deliver on because you know they're gonna have the same problem of the rehab facilities do, where do you send these folks after they leave their facility? And therein lies the problem. We don't have support. And every almost, and I'm happy for the crisis intervention, and that's already kind of, there's been this shift towards focusing on the mental health issues because the prisons are absolutely screaming at us that they are ill-equipped to deal with the mental health issues and the substance abuse issues that exist, because if you look at their population, it's overrun by those two things. And honestly, you take traumatized people, put them in prison and punish them for their mental health issues, you're creating more trauma. Well, on that happy note. <laughs> <laughs> so when you are both elected, 
Mm -hmm. When you're both elected, what do you want to accomplish together? I think that a big, a big change that we could make right away is just supporting the employees and letting the, like, I think it would change and improve the services that county pr provides to know they have two commissioners who um, support them and, and believe that we need to increase the minimum wage. And I guess I don't know specifically that Carol thinks we need to increase the minimum wage, but I, I kind of assume that she does. And I hope she agrees with me. <laughs> yep. Her <laughs> answer is yes. I mean, uh, you can't attract quality people to very necessary jobs and very stressful jobs, by the way, um, without a decent wage. That's just sensible. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah, our current county minimum for um, per, what, permanent regular employees is ten fifty an hour, which yes, it is better than the eight fifty an hour that it was like not that long ago. Um, but no, I I had argued for twelve dollars um, the last time, and I got fifty cents more than what it was before. So, um, so yeah, I think that's one area um, that could really improve morale to a point where we're able to retain people so then we stop having to retrain people all the time um and improve some you know provide good services and make sure that we're um you know doing what we need to do yeah i agree completely and in, in an absolutely just festers an entire lack of morale um and it's costing us money absolutely i think and it's costing us money not just on the employment end but in the community and the effects that it has on the people that need to be served and aren't because we haven't a full staff to handle it. The costs are enormous to our community. Maybe we ought to look at that. You know, it's an that when we invest in people, we invest in our communities. That's, and I, I agree with Laura hundred percent on that. I, I think a couple of the other um, big projects that come to mind are things that it's possible we'll get the ball rolling on before November. Um, but one is the trail system and one is the prison. Um, so I'm not sure what's going to happen with those in the next however many months we have. It's fewer months than than my brain can handle because I'm like, it's going to be here so quickly. Um, <laughs> it's possible that we will have some commitments in place for um, a trails authority um, to hopefully take advantage of the 9-11 trail coming through here and connecting um, the different communities in a way that you won't need a car to get everywhere, which would be amazing. Um, but I, you know, just based on the timing, that might be something that Carol can support if we haven't done it yet. Um, and then Obviously, with the new prison, um, I it, it's hard. I don't like to talk about it too much publicly because I don't want to give away like security details or you know cause an issue. But we have to do something about the prison. Um, we have to. It's not a it's not a want at this point. It is a need to do something about the prison. Um, so if we aren't able to move that forward, um, you know that's something where there's still a question in the air about privatization. Um, I am strongly opposed to privatizing the prison, um, and I believe that Carol is as well. Absolutely. And, sent, and, and, and I remember the discussion I had with a member of the Tea Party, who shall go remain nameless, where I got into a heated discussion when it was suggested to me that we should privatize the prison probably four or five years ago. There's been a constant push for that. There's nothing like incentivizing, incentivizing, excuse me, <laughs> um, putting people in jail like I it, and it's been a failure in places where they've done it so it's not saved any money and also has created other problems so I am absolutely against it and obviously since I've worked in in the field of addictions I a lot of the folks that come to us um, have been in prison before they actually come to rehab which is interesting you would think it would be the other way around right but now they get paroled to the facility um, and so I'm pretty familiar with, um, what happens there. Um, uh, and again, it, yeah, there are a lot of problems that need to be addressed. And I think we're kind of on the same page with that. Um, and in, in terms of, you know, I've been, 
I studied it with my criminal justice degree and then basically my years practicing law, some familiarity. I've been inside prisons, walked through, talked to prisoners, that kind of thing. Um, that doesn't make me an expert, but I think probably my work um, in addictions has, has lent to that information base to know that we need to do a lot more um, in terms of prison system reform. The overall state recidivism rate is 64, 65%. Um, my county, not, not Blair, has like a, I don't know, 23, 25% recidivism rate. But we had two Democratic county commissioners who worked really, really, really hard to like do programs and things like that, as well as at least they, there was not a push to privatize, but there was a new <coughs> prison built and that was prior administration, but like they have worked really, really hard on that prison. And that's a huge place because county prisons are often the first stop for people. And that's Center County. I think they have a program, I not just to provide how, I think definitely to provide housing when someone leaves the prison, but also to like basically hook them up with a job, which yeah. we do very little of. We're trying, we have a reentry coalition that is working on a strategic plan on like, how are we going to get better at all of that? Um, but that's one of those things where changes in personnel or just like COVID killed their ability to effectively meet um, because they needed, you know, like strategic planning is very difficult to do by Zoom, believe it or not. Um, so, <laughs> um, so they are working on that. But yeah, that's that's one of those those big things where it is all tied together. And that's like if we don't have like and the work like just workforce in general, if we don't have jobs for people to move into when they move the prison, if we don't have recovery friendly workplaces you know mm -hmm. those sorts of things are not directly things that the commissioners have control over we can't like go tell private employers oh you have to be more recovery friendly but working in something like the reentry coalition and with different stakeholders that's that's a culture that we can help create mm -hmm. with just being leaders in the community so um so yeah center definitely has a good good thing going although we always complain because their crime is different than our it crime. is different <laughs> it's the same but different um but i think there's like also something to be said for county commissioners that can also work with the court which kind of sort of two separate entities but also kind of sort of not it's a very weird partnership and going and doing a veterans court a drug court and things like that so there's a lot of other things that criminal justice wise commissioners can can really push so anyway sorry i'm i've been contemplating recidivism for a week <laughs> yeah i mean so like listen number one i uh could not be more excited to have uh these two commissioner candidates um and uh i, I can't i can't wait to see how this year turns out um and number two, thank you both um, for joining us today. It is lovely to hear from, you know, anybody that, that can speak passionately about, you know, these sorts of issues. And you both can and did. <laughs> thank you for having me on. Thank you. Uh, well, so what do we got? We got some events. Um, two, uh, one, hosted by Commissioner Laura Burke um, on Sunday at Marzoni's, uh, March 5th at 5. That's uh, our end of petitions party. Um, so if you're a Blair County person or, hey, if you're a statewide judicial <laughs> candidate, come on down. Um, additionally, uh, LunaFest um, is proud to amplify the inspiring short films by this year's selection of women and gender nonconforming directors. Featured filmmakers are from all walks of life and range from poets to conservationists, activists, and educators. These stories remind us that when we come together, we all move forward. Proceeds benefit Center Safe, a Center County-based nonprofit organization providing critical services to those impacted by sexual assault, relationship violence, stalking, and more. Um, and you know, we will have, of course, the online event link available for you to check out. Um, don't forget that we are on Patreon. We offer quality 
patron only content uh and additionally of course you can hang out in our discord group and talk all the hot tea with us and uh and also get some fun you know some some good advice on politics um being more involved uh and all kinds of stuff so you can check us out there at patreon.com slash the night caucus uh, and finally, just one more time, many thanks to uh, Commissioner Laura Burke and Carol Taylor, uh, as always, to my co-witches, um, Katie and Angela, and Laura, uh, <laughs> and uh, our mysterious and magical producer, the delightful Dr. Ack. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Night Caucus. Subscribe and rate us on Apple Pods, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your pods. And uh, and of course, come join our community by becoming a Patreon supporter. Oh, and have you applied for your mail-in ballot yet? <laughs>